to the book of Ephesians. We've been covering this book in the past number of weeks. The book of Ephesians. Our scripture reading will come from verses 1 through 10 in this what's called the prison epistle, which Paul wrote it while he was under house arrest. He wrote four epistles that are called the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And here he is writing about salvation being completely by grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. Faith in who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now we look at God's workmanship. But we'll be reading from verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. And it says here, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, God, that you would grant to us a greater understanding of our salvation, the depth of your love, the extent of your grace, that we might walk in the good works that you have prepared for us. Open our eyes, O God, that we might see great and mighty things which you do not yet know. In Jesus' name, amen. In an article dated March 7th, 2007, there's an article that was entitled, Doing Good Can Make You Feel Good. Subtitled, People Are Happier When Participating in Meaningful Activities, Study Finds. It reads this way. There's a new incentive for doing things that are good for others. It makes you happier, according to a new study. Michael Steger, a psychologist at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, has always been amazed at how differently people lead their lives. Pat Tillman, for example, left the NFL to enlist in the army and fight in Iraq and later in Afghanistan, where he was killed, Steger said. But celebrity and socialite Paris Hilton continually pursues, quote, a public life of shallowness, unquote. Seeger couldn't help but wonder, which behavior makes people happier? Seeking pleasure or 
doing good. To find out, he and his colleagues asked a group of 65 undergraduates to complete an online survey each day for three weeks that assessed, that assessed how many times they participated in hedonistic or pleasure-seeking behaviors versus meaningful behaviors such as helping others, listening to friends, problems, pursuing one's life's goals. They found out the more people participated in meaningful activities, the happier they were, the more purposeful their lives felt. Pleasure-seeking behaviors, on the other hand, did not make people feel happier. A lot of times, quote, we think that happiness comes about because you get things for yourself, unquote, said Richard Ryan, a psychologist at the University of Rochester who was not involved in the study. But it turns out that in a paradoxical way, giving gets you more. And I think that's an important message in a culture that's pretty often getting the messages to the opposite effect, unquote. I found that article interesting. It's always interesting when I find an article that validates what the Word of God already teaches us to do and encourages us to do. Of course, the point of the article is what makes you feel good is the goal and the motivation of doing good. But for the Christian, the motivation is wholly different. It is to glorify God or to bring honor to God, to show off God, that God has given us good works prepared before, especially for you and I to do. But it's always a fascinating thing when the world comes about a conclusion that God has already recommended for us. We've been looking at this passage. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 9 about how our old life was, a life that was drowning in the cesspool of our own sin and the stench of our own lusts following our own impulses and wanting to do whatever we wanted to do and selfishness. Wholly deserving as children by nature, deserving of the wrath of God. And our condition was hopeless and lost. And then there's a turning point in verse 4. But God, but God, it says, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, He saved us. He saved us. He granted to us salvation by His grace for those who have placed their faith and trust in Him. In that, God has given us the Spirit of God which causes the fruit of righteousness to grow in our lives. And I thought a lot about that, about this passage, for it is a passage that is often, often shared in evangelism, for by grace you have been saved through faith, for it says in verse 8, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. That's what it says. And I think oftentimes of the well-known song, a song that has lasted the test of time, used even in a commercial I saw on television just a couple of weeks ago, using the verses there, the song, Amazing Grace. And you think of the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. We are saved by grace, and grace meaning unmerited favor. We were undeserving a grace, a gift that was completely free to us. Salvation was. And we come now to verse 10, which tells us what 
we are and what our purpose is. What we are and what our purpose is. And the first thing that tells us in verse 10 comes in the first part of that verse. What we are. We are God's workmanship. For it says we are God's workmanship or we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship there comes from the Greek word poeme. It is the word from which we get the word poem or meaning a piece of literary workmanship, a work of art or a masterpiece. In other words, Christians are God's created masterpiece. Now, perhaps you've been to various places in the world. I think of uh, the Smithsonian Museums. And when you go into the Museum of Art, you see all of these famous paintings, all of these masterpieces, carefully crafted or, or carefully sculptured or whatever it may be. And these are works of art. When you listen to somebody it's, or read a particular book that has been called somebody's a masterpiece, it's sometimes called their magnum opus. It is their great work of art. And that's what we as people are. God's masterpiece, God's trophy, God's magnum opus. As an artist who creates and makes something very special. There are many artists and they create beautiful things. Just like that. And God took you and I and He formed and fashioned of us. I think of, my, I think of the, the artists down at, at Pike Place Market. You can go there and some are street artists and they're very good at what they do. I like watching those folks that make the little tiny glass sculptures, little animals, an elephant or a little bear, and they're there blowing glass and, and, and making these little glass animals that are just beautiful. And they sell these things and they spend all of this time, all day long, they're blowing glass and, and, and making this art for us to purchase and treasure. And just like that, God too, God too took you and I and He formed and He fashioned you and I into who we are. That's what Genesis 1 tells us in the very beginning. If you look back there in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, the account of God's creation, the account of God's creation in the book of Genesis foretells us in verse 26 of God's creation of man. On the sixth day, it says this, Then God said, Let us, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created Man, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 7 of chapter 2. God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Verse 19. Out of the ground God formed every beast of the field and he brought them to man, it says, what he would call them. The man gave names, verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a suitable helper for him. So God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and he slept. 
Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. On the sixth day, you see, in the final day of creation, God created man as the pinnacle, as the apex of his creation. Contrary to evolutionary theory, which is very much now on the front pages. In fact, it's about uh, an article on the front page of today's Seattle Times talks about Darwin because of, because of uh, the anniversary that has come. But contrary to evolutionary theory, man didn't evolve out of some primordial mass or due to natural selection. In fact... In contrast to all of creation that was created on the earth, only people, the scriptures say, only people are created in the image of God. What they call the Imago Dei. That there is something reflective of God in people. That you and I somehow reflect God immaterially. That we are not the remnants of some sort of survival of the fittest. People are God's masterpiece. People are God's work of art. And when it says there in verse 10 of Ephesians, it says, created in Christ Jesus. There are different words that are used for the word created. And that particular word is a word that is used only when God creates. Only when God creates. In Psalm 19 verse 1, it talks about creation because when God creates, it shouts about the Creator. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hand. All of creation displays the glory of God. Now, I know some of you are very busy people. You work a great deal, or maybe you're a very busy mother. But it's good from time to time to stop and think and reflect upon God. And what God has created. I think of the times that we've had as a family to go and see various things. And one of the things I remember we've had the opportunity to go to is we've gone to see the Yellowstone National Park. Beautiful park. The colors of the flowers, the beautiful plains. I remember the hot springs and the bubbling water, or the bison and the bears and animals that are there. And the geysers, including Old Faithful. Just around the corner, you ride up the, the road and you can see the Grand Mountains, the Grand Teton Mountains. Or maybe you've been to Hawaii. And you've been there on the beaches and you've sat there in the beautiful sunset and you've listened to the waves as they've come onto the shore. And beautiful places. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen is the, is the Great Barrier Reef off of Australia's coast. Swimming along the multicolored corals and the tropical fish. It's just like the movie, you know, Finding Nemo. The fish are friendly, they swim right up to you. It's just like being in a tropical fish tank, all multicolored and massive, colorful, beautiful. Or maybe it's as simple as walking along the Oregon coast and you see the shore and the mountains that are there. All of creation... All of creation displays the glory of God. 
And yet none of that, none of that, none of that is created in the image of God in which people are created. We are called God's masterpiece. Not all of the beautiful corals or the mountains. We are called His workmanship. And nothing else in all of creation has been created with the soul as people have been. St. Augustine said this, quote, Men go abroad to wander at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the season, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wandering. Unquote. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it? We love to marvel at the beauty of nature. And yet, when it comes to people, we pass by the fact that they are created in the image of God. And yet, the wonder perhaps comes in at the birth of a new baby. Their mind is absorbing all of this information as their eyes look around and track all of the things that they are now seeing and learning, processing the light through their cornea. And it comes in through the amazing eye that God has created through the focusing lens and it hits the retina and the back. And images hit the 125 million or so nerve endings in the back of the eye simultaneously. And all of these micro-switches processes that information and it sends that information through their, your optic nerve through a million separate insulated fibers and onto the brain, which interprets what you see in a mere fraction of a second. The ears hear and they interpret music. And you can replicate that through your voice, using of your hands. God has made you and I in a very special way. God has created you as a masterpiece, as someone who is special. And the scriptures tell us that in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, if you turn your Bibles there as well. But this is a passage that speaks of how God has especially created you, even when you were still in your mother's womb. For in Psalm 139, verse 13, the psalmist says here, For you, speaking of God, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet... There was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they would outnumber the sand when I awake. I am still with you. You were not created, you see, by some mere accident. You weren't created by a random chance of events. You weren't created as some hobby. You were created as a special individual by the hand of God, woven in your mother's womb from conception you were, God designed you. God designed your body. God designed your mind. And He gave you the life that you have, the skills and the gifts that you have. He ordained even the days that were to be written out for your life. 
So there's no need to worry. There's no need to feel inferior. There's no need, no reason to think that I'm not special. Because you are. You are. You mean more to God, you see, than you probably even think about. And God cares more for you than perhaps you even realize. He cares more for you and for your children than perhaps you even care yourself. He knows everything you need and He's already planned out these days for you so there's no need to worry or to fret. And God painstakingly, carefully crafted His masterpiece, which is you, for a purpose. And that purpose comes in the second part of verse 10. Our purpose is to do good works. To do good works. For good works, which it says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has prepared good works for you and I to do and His intention is that you and I would do these good works. That's Paul's prayer for the Colossians when he writes to them in verse 10. He says, and we pray this, in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, God's intention is to use you to do many good works. That's God's intention. You know, I'm sure many of you have fine china. Many people receive fine china when they get married and the wedding and they, they uh, order china. And I've thought a lot about the practicality. I tend to be a very practical person. It's a good thing. People receive fine china. It has many, many uses and I think it's very nice. Other people, though, find it perhaps not as practical. Often what happens is that fine china goes into a nice china cabinet. But a few years down the road, they begin to have children and all of those nice dishes and cups are replaced by more durable things. Durable bowls that you can throw on the ground and won't break. Beautiful cups are now replaced by the sippy cups that are non-spilling. I remember in our own family, we had these metal cups. You could probably pour acid into them and throw them against the wall and still use them. But for the next 20 years, all of that fine china is on display in a nice china cabinet. And they're afraid perhaps to use the china for all sorts of good reasons. It might get chipped or broken or whatever it might be. But to God, we're not simply China that's on display. God doesn't intend to simply put us in a cabinet to look good, never to see the light of day, never to be used or stashed away in some box. God has designed that every piece of that table setting be used. Us, as dishes or His masterpiece. God doesn't want to use dishes that are dirty or contaminated or whatever it may be. He wants to use pure dishes to be clean and usable because it makes Him look good. It makes Him the host. It displays His honor and His glory and He wants to use you. And that's God's intention. No matter what your skills are, no matter where you've come from in your background in life, God has a purpose for you to do good works. And you might wonder, how in the world and what can I do? Oh, I read last week about a, a group of dedicated professionals who venture out into their community once a month. And they're not carrying hammers to build a house. And they're not carrying uh, uh, ladles and pots to feed others in a soup kitchen. And they're armed with blow dryers and scissors and nail polish. And then once a month, these professionals go out and some ministry called him called hairdressers in the marketplace. 
this particular day, they call a day of beauty, and what they do is they give free pampering, haircuts, and manicures, and they share about the love of God. They go to these nursing homes for the poor, or homeless shelters, or facilities for the mentally handicapped, and they provide free hair, hair, hair uh, cuts and things like that. Hairstylist Teresa Russo-Cox founded the ministry in 1998 after trying various positions at her church where she had tried to serve in various areas and she felt like it really just didn't fit. And she asked of God, why did you give me this talent? That's so much about vanity. She prayed, how can I serve you? And so she gave, the Lord gave her an opportunity, a vision to begin this. And she said, that's what sets us apart from other ministries that offer free haircuts to the poor, explains Teresa. We focus on evangelism to the beauty industry which is filled with so much darkness. Its underlying message is all about external things, glamour and glitz. I want to bring the light of God's Word into our industry. The article reads, it's working. One 2006 event, the clients were teen girls going through drug and alcohol rehab. Melissa said she was surprised by the girls' reaction. They told me they hadn't had sober fun before. They had never experienced that, unquote. So the question is, what are your gifts? What do you really have that God has given to you? that you can use. Perhaps you might not even know how you can use it, but God has a plan for you and how He has designed you to do good works for others. Because, you see, we spend hours investing in ourselves. Oftentimes, people invest so much time and money and energy into themselves, seeking pleasure as a hedonist, making themselves happy. In the end, only to find out it is less than satisfying. For if they would only give their life away like this group does, once a month. Do you have once a month, one morning a month, when you can serve someone out of love for the Lord, desiring to share with them the love of Christ? How can you reach them? Well, it says here, how can they be reached with the gospel? And good works, you see, produce fruit, the life that has changed. And it's not just a little bit of fruit. Do you realize in John 15, that very well-known passage that that John writes about, I am the vine and you are the branches, which Jesus says. In John 15, 8, in that, very, in that passage that speaks of God answering our prayers when we abide in Christ, it's very interesting what it says. For it says, My Father, Jesus says, is glorified by this, that you bear fruit, that you bear a little fruit. It says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God's intention is not that you bear just a little bit of fruit. No, his intention is that you bear much fruit. Ten times, hundred times, whatever it might be, that if you abide in Christ, you will bear much fruit. Jesus continues on in John 15 verse 6. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask in my Father's name, He may give you. God chose you so that you would bear much fruit and that fruit would remain. The work that 
that Paul writes about here is not a prerequisite for salvation. It is not required to do these things in order to be saved. There's nothing absolutely we can do to earn eternal life, to earn our way into heaven, to do good deeds, and therefore somehow reach a, a level that we have just been able to earn our way into heaven. In fact, our good deeds, Jeremiah says, are but filthy rags in the eyes of God. Arkant Hughes writes, quote, Works are a sign that we are His workmanship, Authentic believers, those made by God's hand, work for Him. You see, good works are a result of a life that transformed, not a prerequisite for a transformed life. A life that's not regenerate, a life that's not changed, a life that's not a believer is a life that won't want to do good works because they're not spiritually alive. See, a person who's not a believer, not a Christian, isn't going to desire, isn't going to have a desire to do good works or to do these things for the glory of God. It's not that they can't do anything that is good, but not to do it for the glory of God, to do it with the right motivation. Last week I shared with you about the, 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 the time I went to the, the UW and we saw a cadaver and how I uh, stayed behind. I remember looking at this cadaver and, and poking at it. You know, you poked at it. It's not like it, you know, so, ha, 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 you know, that tickles. It doesn't do anything. In the same way, you see, people will not respond who aren't spiritually alive. They don't have a desire in their heart. It doesn't matter how much encouragement or accountability that you give them. We could have all stood around that cadaver and then encouraged it and taught it and, you know, said, Oh, come on, you can do it. On the count of three, I want you to sit up and you push it up. Boom, it'll fall down. Because it's a dead body. It doesn't matter what type of thing. But only those whose lives are changed from the inside out will have that desire to live for the glory of God. To please God. To desire to do what God wants them to do. And when you stop to think about it, that is what we will be doing in heaven. In the service of God, to do the works that God has designed and planned for us to do. That's what it will be like in heaven. We won't be sitting around playing cards or volleyball or ping pong in heaven. We'll be serving God. And if our desire is not in our heart to serve God now, then frankly speaking, you don't want to be in heaven. You don't want to go to heaven because you know what? That's not the place that will give you the opportunity to do what you want. No. Heaven's not going to be like that. We're going to be serving God. We'll be worshiping God the evidence of a life that has changed is that of works that God has produced in our heart that desire to live for God. God, you see, didn't sacrificially give His Son to die a death on a cross. And He didn't patiently bring you to faith in Christ and to mold you and to fashion you and to work in your heart and life for you simply to say... God, I don't have time for you. God, I've got to work on my car or work on my boat or my house or my vacation. God, my family, my career, my homework or whatever it is. I'm too busy for you, God. God didn't save you for that. God saved you for good works that He might be shown to be good. He might be shown to be a loving and a merciful God. 
God has created you as His masterpiece to be put on display for His glory and to be used by Him for His purposes. So the question for us then is what? What is the desire of your heart? What is the real desire of your heart? Is it your desire to live and to serve God? Because you'll either be serving one of two things. Your own self-interest or you'll be serving the interests of God. You'll be even serving what has been created or yourself. or You'll be serving the Creator. What does that say about your own heart and your life? Where you're at? Is it changed? Is it a transformed life that has been changed and given salvation? Been saved by grace through faith? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And this gift of God which you've been given in your heart transforms your life. For just as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And we are a new creation. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus For the purpose of good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you and for I to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be called children of God. And yet with those privileges, O God, comes responsibility. It comes with the privilege as well of serving in your kingdom as heralds, as lights. So I pray, Father, may we walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling and display, O God, proving that we are children of you, for you have prepared good works for us to do. In Jesus' precious name.